Okay, so welcome and thank you for uh, being here and listening to this. Um, I'm basically going to start uh, doing little uh, recordings while I walk. So I think it's quite interesting to put all the things and experiences that I've had and that I'm having recorded somewhere. And uh, maybe you will benefit from anything or get inspired or just get your, your mind going. So yeah, this is the first recording that I'm doing while I'm walking, so you have to excuse the sound. There might be wind, there might be cars passing by, and also just the sound in general because I'm using a Bluetooth uh, uh, earphone that I found. So, and I'm outside, obviously, so that's, uh, the sound might not be that great, but I hope you get the message anyway. So yeah, at this point I've been walking for over 16 months and I have walked over, I think it's about 9,100 and something kilometers. And uh, I'm walking towards Stockholm. I'm in Sweden at the moment. And uh, I walk on the road. Sometimes it's, uh, you can find bicycle path, which is quite nice and safe. But most of the time, uh, especially when you are out of urban areas, you just walk on uh, on the road. So you have to be walking facing the traffic, the cars, so they can see you. And uh, it's getting cold. It's the first time that I'm walking at this time of the year in this uh, latitude. This time last year I was uh, in France, northern France, heading south. So it was still cold, but not... Uh, not uh, not that of a problem because I was heading south towards Spain and Portugal. So I have, uh, I think I have walked now around uh, 13 countries altogether. And uh, I've gone to all of the capitals. I've been to London, Dublin, um, and then uh, I went to Glasgow, Edinburgh, back to London. Then I went to Brussels, Paris. Bordeaux, Lourdes, uh, north of Spain to Santiago, south towards uh, Fatima from Portugal, Lisbon from Lisbon, then I went towards Madrid, Madrid, Barcelona, south of France, then from there headed up towards uh, Germany, um, then uh, the Czech Republic, no, uh, Switzerland, then the Czech Republic, Czech Republic back to Germany, up towards Denmark, and Denmark, Sweden. So, uh, it's been an incredible journey. Um, there was a, a readiness before I started because I did uh, a lot of preparation in terms of, uh, not physical, but the, the spiritual and psychological readiness was already there before I started because of all the experiences that I've been through in London, in the UK. I am from Tenerife, but I lived in London for about 19 years. And uh, I did a lot of uh, inner work with uh, meditation, different uh, self-development courses, and uh, so I started to investigate more and more what was happening inside to discover, you know, why I was doing the things that I was doing and the habits, why I was unhappy, and uh, so it, it was a process of years, but then um, bit by bit I was starting to be more interested in uh, in what lies underneath all this thinking and habits and patterns of thinking. 
And uh, also there were a lot of circumstances happening at the time in, uh, in London, in the UK, with uh, some of my family members died, uh, people that I knew also died quite young, um, and uh, there were suicides, there were sudden deaths, so there was a lot of loss, in, uh, especially 2016. Even uh, some uh, beautiful dogs that I was very, very fond of, one of them was put down and the other one died from a being hit by a car, so there was a lot of death around me, and and at that particular time in my life, I was actually questioning everything, you know, because I had various experiences in uh, in my life before that completely shook me in, from the inside out. So there was uh, at the uh, at the age of about fourteen, I was uh, I was hating myself. I absolutely hated the way that I look, and uh, I always had an issue with my self-image, and that represented in so many ways, like overeating, and then later on, uh, anorexia, bulimia. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of conflict. I think because there were moments in my life where I felt very out of uh, of uh, I don't know control. Maybe that was a way of control. The only thing that I could control in my life when everything else was falling apart was my body. But well, going back to the, the time when I was 14, I actually uh, was, uh, I've always been very curious about life in general. Like, what is this life about? What is, what is this? What is this thing called life? Who am I? And I remember looking at myself in the mirror and I hated my reflection. And I was looking straight into my eyes and I was just saying, to, I hate you. And then I said, who are you? And in that question, when I was looking into my own eyes, very close to the mirror, there was a huge, weird feeling of separation. There was like, like time stopped. Everything became very large. So there was a vastness to, to my experience. It was really strange to, to put it into words, but it was basically like a, like a huge sense of expansion like uh, my body didn't just start there where I was you know it was like connected with everything around and it was it was a, a very profound feeling uh, a feeling of uh, something that actually was very it was the most real feeling I've had it was hard to explain and also it was hard to to explain to anybody else really because it was something very private but that that completely it was like some kind of I was from another plane or some other realm there was a really strange separation it was beautiful because it was very warm but it was a uh, my body was there, but I was not there. It was like a sense of expansion that it was limitless. It was hard to explain. But uh, I left it like that. It lasted for a little bit. And I left it like that. And uh, I didn't really speak to anybody about this. And then I started to think about, maybe I'm going crazy. Maybe there is something wrong with my brain. You know, I actually uh, grew up in an atheist environment. My father was a... Militant atheist, 
very strong, very strong uh, ideas and thoughts about religion and God and all these things. And I grew up in that environment, which later, actually, I, I got to appreciate because it made me question everything. And I remember that um, as a young, young child, I was uh, not exposed to any sort of doctrines. I was just exposed to questioning things. And that was actually very, um, later on I got to realize that that was actually very, very beautiful thing to do. You know, just, just, uh, my parents decided that, you know, if he's going to choose any sort of religion or any sort of belief, that's when he goes, when he's older and capable of choosing. So I appreciated that from my father. My mother was more like blase about it. She didn't really care. So I didn't have any sort of, support in that area so I didn't know what it was what happened to me and I left it like that obviously I'm looking at this now retrospectively I think you say and uh, and now I could see what was happening but at the time I thought but that was the most real authentic feeling and the knowing I've ever had and I left it like that it was like something something is there something is not not everything is what it seems it's not all, all our senses are sort of limiting. That's how I experienced it. But I kept quiet about it. Then uh, I went through life and uh, I uh, did study there. I lived in Tenerife and then I started to get uh, more and more uh, disillusioned with it. Living in a small place, I did study, I did go to, to France to study French for one month because Basically, when I was in, uh, in, in school, when I was in school, there was the first time that they gave us a choice to study as a second language, sort of uh, English or French. It was always English, so people had to do that. And I chose French, so I never, ne never knew English all the way to, to high school. And in high school, my French teacher said to me, there is a, a, a um, EU funding, uh, a grant to to take students to to go to France and study French there. So if you have good grades, and also if you are one of the students that are eligible for the grants because you can't <coughs> you can afford to to pay for your books and things like that, which was my case, we were a very simple family. And uh, so um, she said, if you can, uh, if you want to. You can apply, you might get it. And I got it, so I got to France. And uh, so I was at the age of 14 that I left the island on my own, the island of Tenerife. And I, uh, <laughs> I had to have a police permit from my parents to travel because I was uh, underage. So, and uh, so fly from Tenerife to Madrid. All this was covered by the, the EU thing. Uh, I didn't get any cash with me or anything like that. It was all paid for. So at the age of 14, I left the island. I was very excited. And then I got to, to Madrid, landed in Madrid. And then in Madrid, all students had to get together from all over Spain with the, the allocated teachers into a, one of those uh, big coaches, big buses. And from those big buses, uh, go all the way to France by bus. So imagine, I mean, at the age of 14, young little me discovers that there is a whole world outside of the island. So I got really, really excited, really interested. It completely changed my perspective on life and 
seeing other people from different places. And the first time that I went to, to study French in France, it was the, in Bretagne, in the northwest. And you basically are staying with a family. You don't know about the family until you get there. And when I got there, I got this family and they, were, they had uh, two young kids, same age as me, one girl and one boy. So I was great. This is a young family. And they, uh, you stay with the family. You go to do classes in the morning, Monday to Friday, and then activities in the afternoon. And then on the weekend, you stay with the family. So your family could take you away and uh, you know, show you around. And this family was amazing. They showed me in Bretagne, all the medieval villages. It was the first time that I saw cathedrals and castles and medieval stuff. Because remember, I grew up in Tenerife. And the Canary Islands were conquered by the Spanish. And uh, obviously, um, people before used to live much simpler in caves. And there was a sort of, uh, I don't know if it was Stone Age. I think it was no more than that. It's like Iron Age. I can't remember right now. But the Spanish went there, conquered the islands. So it was basically from 1490s that the, the Western sort of history started there in the Canaries. You know, the sort of cultural um, implementation from, from a European superpower, as they call it, no? it was uh, colonialism and all that. So um, I was super excited to see all these things firsthand, and, uh, and it, was, uh, it was great to see that. And uh, I got to learn a lot about, you know, different places, people, I was on my own, and then, you know, you do all these things, activity. If you pass the exam at the end of the month, this was 1994, I think it was, if you pass the exams, then they automatically renew the same grant for the year after. So 1995, I did it again. Flew out from Tenerife to Madrid. Then uh, Madrid got together with all, all the different students. But this time we went to the north of France. So uh, the bus went all the way to the north of France. So that was a long journey. And uh, in the north of France, I stayed with a family, which was... Uh, Older family, there was no, they only had a kid, well, not a kid, a son, but he was uh, maybe in his 30s. So they were not really into too many activities. And, uh, but I stayed in the Armentier, which is a very small village near the Belgium, Belgium border. And the family, I remember saying to me, the, you know, this street in front of us, that's uh, Belgium, and this is France. And then I doubt really, it was a, really strange feeling but also beautiful because i thought okay so this is a border here but there is nothing in the border this is borderless so it was my, my first experience of borderless uh, country and then i realized it's like, okay so this is just borders because we we decide that these are borders because we say this is where the country ends and finishes and there was no physical border there everything looked the same very smooth transition between one place and the other and that marked me as a, as a way of um, realizing that, you know, borders are something that we just construct, humans construct. So uh, all of that uh, really impressed me. And because we were so um, far up north in France, we could uh, visit. We decided to go on a day excursion in a bus, all the students and the teachers, to Paris, to visit Paris, and then to visit Brussels, and also to visit London. And uh, when we went to London, I remember I fell in love with London because of the people there. I thought, wow, 
there is people from all over the world, different colors, different races, different sights, everything. I was just super excited. And I remember thinking to myself, I have to come here. I have to live here. I don't know what it is about this city, but I have to come here. And I remember going back to Tenerife after that uh, summer month and saying to my mom, Mom, when I turn 18, I will move to London. She laughed, thinking that I was a little bit crazy. But I think she knew there was already a seed of, uh, <laughs> of curiosity in me because I was already traveling on my own and, and seeing the world out there. And uh, it was not at the age of 18, but it was at the age of 19 when I met someone through a friend that was actually living in London. He's from Tenerife too. And um, he, he was in, in Tenerife on holidays and I was just, I met him and I was talking to him and he said, yeah, actually I live in London if you want to, you know, I completely understand that you don't really want to be here anymore because I was in the same situation when I was here. The island was too small for me. You can come and stay with me for a little while. So I did. So I moved to London and stayed with this friend of mine. And for a couple of months, look for jobs, look for work. And then I moved on my own. And it was super exciting. It was a very, very tiny bedsit. <laughs> Life in London was, was not easy. But um, it was exciting because it was all new. And, uh, and that was it. That was, that's how I, I started in London. And then I started to, to look into studying. Into, I always loved photography because my father was an amateur photographer. So I got it from him. And I used to break his cameras, experimenting and whatnot. And, and, and in my, uh, my teenage years... It was a way for me to to be behind the camera. It was a way to observe. I was very observant about people and behavior and life. And uh, and light. I was very interested in light too. So I uh, stayed in London, you know, worked, lived there, and studied photography there. And then uh, started to to work as a photographer's assistant, fashion photographer's assistant. And then I started to 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 travel with this photographer it was, it was amazing i traveled all around the world with him on different assignments in fashion photography and then i started to do my own little bits fashion photography myself and then uh, bit by bit i started to become more and more disillusioned with the whole idea of uh, of creating desire and i started to look uh, you know why i was unhappy difficult life very expensive and uh, i started to look into you know ways of uh, of uh, what life is about. Again, this sort of drive and pull towards looking deeper was again in, ignited. And, uh, and yes, I mean, I, I did a lot of things. I went clubbing to places. I took so many different drugs and partied. It was a, a young guy in, the, in London, so it was exciting times to discover and meet a lot of different people. And then uh, in the, after years in London, I think it was in... Uh, 2012, yes, 2012 was the year that uh, I did, uh, I was uh, not very happy about the situation, what was happening, and I was, I remember I was very, very lost in my mind, and I was just thinking, what is this all about, blah, 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 and the day before, I remember it snowed, so, but this day was uh, blue sky, but they were, I went to the park where, next to where I lived in Deptford, South East London, and uh, there was ice on the fountain. There was a little fountain there. So I took a chunk of ice, and I wanted to put it through, to see, put it against the sunlight to see through. And when I did that, I lifted the piece of ice, I put it against the sun, and I looked. And when the sun, the, the sun rays 
hit my eyes, that was it. I completely disappeared. It was a strange thing. It was something hit me like a, like a thunder. And, uh, and I remember thinking, well, not even thinking, it was like the whole thing just stopped. It's very hard to explain, but that feeling that I had when I was 14, when I was looking into my own eyes in the mirror, came back, but it came back a thousand times bigger. It was huge. I completely disappeared. I don't know how long I stood there in this little park, and there was a huge, huge feeling of, of love, of everything being right, being home. It's, it, and it, it's, again, it was a huge sense of expansion. And I just started to cry from the absolute beauty of that moment. It was just, my heart was uh, exploding. It was so, life is amazing. It was like, this is just incredible. And, and I cried and I laughed. I laughed because there were a lot of images coming through my brain, like, like really fast. Like all these these things that I've been thinking about, like life and me and work and bad and this also hard, so difficult, it's just disappeared. And I started to laugh like this is a this is a huge joke. This is a huge uh, <laughs> it's a very humorous way of why am I creating all of these things? I could see that there was a, there was actually me who created all these scenarios in my brain because the reality was just was happening in the moment and I was just I was so open and, and, and from that moment, absolutely everything changed in my life. There was, there was, uh, I don't know how long I stood there, but I remember being completely full, full of, of, of love, of life, of completion. And, uh, and that moment was actually um, a moment that completely changed me because uh, from that moment on, I did, uh, I remember going to to my fridge. I didn't eat for a couple of days because I was not even hungry. I was just in bliss of this, this beauty, this joy, this this love, this life. And um, I remember uh, going to my fridge and I'm thinking, well, do I have to eat something? Because even if I don't feel like, I'm sure my body needs um, some food. And uh, I remember taking a chicken breast that was in the fridge and it was already cooked. It was cold and, I put, and the plate was already there. So I just took it out and looked at it. And it was a strange feeling that this thing, this piece of, of flesh that was there, it was, it, that was alive. That was experiencing life. And now it's not. Now it's there. For me... For me to eat, do I need to eat that? It was really strange, but it was that moment I said, never again, never again. This life, this experience of being alive, of feeling the sun, feeling the wind, uh, smelling things and, and your own body is like this animal had uh, every right to, to, to experience that. Why is on this plate just like a piece of dead flesh and um, and I couldn't do it that moment I decided I will not eat any any animals I will not 
participating in any animal suffering. I don't want anything to do with any products from animals, and, and that's what vegan was. And that was uh, six years ago. And uh, so it was from one day to the next. It was not even a, a gradual process, and it was not even a, a process of uh, I want to be healthier. No, it was just pure out of love. The love for life that I had, I felt that every living being in this planet has the right to just be left alone and do their own thing and, and experience life with their own kind. So that was a, that was a crucial moment for me. And uh, I also remember there was a time where a friend of mine, I couldn't stay in London anymore. So it was, uh, it was pretty uh, intense that time. And uh, I remember I was slowing down. I was slowing, slowing right down. I started to to be less and less interested in going out, in taking drugs, in going clubbing. I was really happy spending time on my own in the, in the park and just standing there, in the sitting on a bench and looking at the sky, the beautiful reflections in the trees. The nature was calling me. I felt like I really wanted to be surrounded by nature. And I was very lucky that I had a friend at the time that he had a country house. And I remember saying to him, listen, because I used to go to the, on the weekends to visit him. And he, he really wanted his friends to stay over. But he, the inside of the house was not ready for, for a lot of guests. So I remember saying to him, well, I have a proposition. What about if I move there for a period of time and I, I redecorate your house myself? You know, I just uh, move in. And then I, there was a house in the country in southeast, uh, the southeast of England. And, uh, and it was, he had the 50 acres of land with a lake. The gardens were very beautiful, but the, the inside of the house was not prepared for, um, for uh, a lot of guests to stay over. There was a lot of objects and things that he had accumulated there over the years. So he agreed, and then I moved there, and I started to do all the work on my own. And, uh, and uh, the walls, the floors, and, and it, was a, it was a long project, but it was just me there, and he used to come on the weekends and visit, and sometimes I used to go to London on the weekends. We swapped. But it was, uh, it was a time that I spent in the country, in nature, and, and I was very lucky to have that friend that actually could support that, even though he didn't understand exactly what, what was happening with me. But he was actually, he understood that, you know, the, the need for quiet and, and, and uh, retire, retire a little bit. So, um, and, the, and I remember that he took me once to uh, one, uh, I think it was an agricultural fair or something like that, which is, they show all the animals and the different breeds of cows and where they come from and all these things. And a lot of animals were there for show. And uh, it was the first time that I could actually feel what the animals were feeling. Before, yes, animals for me were eh, just there, you know, nice. Dogs, obviously love dogs since I was a child. Fluffy animals, yeah, you know, they're cute and stuff. But I was not really, I didn't have a sort of depth and connection with them. And I remember when, when I went with him to see this thing, I, I could feel their frustration, their anger, their apathy, their resignment. The, the sheep, they, was, they were lying there. They didn't want to be there. They was just like, well, you know, that kind of feeling of, of abandonment, like, well, what can I do? There's nothing I can do. It was really strange because even looking at the, uh, the faces and, and, and getting all these sorts of emotions from them, it was, um, it was intense for me because I never had that before. And I remember one particular moment when there was a, a, there was a, 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 a section where you could pet pigs. There were pigs there, smaller pigs, a little bit bigger pigs, 
all looking nice and cute and pinky and uh, families could come and pet them and I remember this family coming in there was about uh, there was husband and wife and I think there was about three kids one of them was a baby and uh, uh, minus the baby everyone else was eating a hot dog so they were eating a hot dog and petting the pigs and that image I will never forget because that's when I really got it that's when I got this is it we love the animals when we are in their presence we don't want to harm them we don't want to kill them we just want to pet them and you know we have this sort of natural tendency to look after them and and care for them and look how cute they are and the children love them but we have an object in our hands that is uh, the one we eat and that sort of separation really really brought me to an understanding of of course we don't associate the food that we eat with the suffering of the animals because the food that we eat for us is objects and they taste so we don't see the whole process. And that was also um, significant for me because I, could, I started to see a little bit more of the, of the reality of what was going on. And I, I decided personally not to be involved in any, any purchase of any uh, animal products. And so for me, it was easy to do that because it was, it was coming from a, from a place of love, a deep understanding and appreciation for life and animals' lives. And then I remember when I was in London, before I moved to the country, I actually uh, went uh, to Oxford Street. And I remember walking in Oxford Street after that happened, that experience that I've had happened. And I remember walking through Oxford Street and looking at people in the eye, in their face, and I was invisible. I was actually invisible. I was walking and nobody would look at me. People were looking down or looking at the phones or looking to the side. And I could see that most of them, they were lost in their minds. So their body was walking. So it's like walking through a, through a sea of bodies. They were, their bodies were there, but the minds were not. And it was, it was a strange feeling, but something that I was actually very, very aware of, of their body being there, but the, 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 the sort of essence of them not there. And, uh, and and sometimes occasionally I could see someone looking at me from far, and it's just for a couple of seconds, and there was and they smiled. There was a kind of recognition there, and that was it. There was nothing about you know being creepy or anything. It was just walking, but that kind of human connection that I was craving for was not there unless someone actually looked at you and they smiled because they see you smiling at them, so they didn't see that was creepy. It was actually a, an expression of of joy and love. And then I actually went on purpose to Canary Wharf, which is um, an area that is very um, financial buildings and it's busy, busy, busy. So at lunchtime, everyone is out and everyone is on the corridors of this big uh, sort of shopping mall-like. And uh, I remember going there and I said, well, let's see, let's just walk through here and see what happens. And I walked through there and I remember it was the same thing. It was like people not looking at me in my face. People not looking at each other. There was like rush, 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 stress, stress, stress. And that's when, um, when I decided, you know, that I, it, was, it was possible for me to actually leave and go to, to the countryside. So that was, uh, those were the sort of experiences that I've had. And from then, 2012, more things started to happen. So after 2012 and that experience, and I found a lot of inner peace myself. And later on, I started to look into what was that, that happened to me. And I, uh, from what I saw, I could see that what was happening, some call it a spiritual awakening, some call it a touch of truth, some, some, some of the people call it a, to, to have met God. I don't know. I mean, I don't like to use the word God because it has so much connotations with it. But um, 
but it was it was amazing because it was the the most true true feeling and it was a deep knowing in that uh, a deep knowing that this was true that this was this was it when that happened <coughs> and i remember <coughs> sorry i remember there was um, when i was in london still i remember there was a huge pool to just go out and get out into the world and walk there was a few huge uh, sense of just just go just go but i remember saying to myself i can't listen to this sort of thing i have to be in london you know, carry on walking in london and this and that and i remember because i didn't listen to that i started to see that everything i tried in london failed all the things that i tried to do in london just to to make it to to tick all the boxes of what is expected of someone living in a big city and you know fashion photography and this that and the other and you all fail it never worked so i started to pay more attention to that voice that was saying to me to go and pull and then eventually i started to get some signs around you know like i was i would just walk sometimes in london and think okay let's see what uh, what life brings now and there was maybe a bus passing at that time that said just do it and I, I was, I was, I didn't really understand what was happening. I was just being, being more open to that kind of voice and that part of more, uh, more peaceful, uh, quiet sort of feeling that you get. And uh, and I started to pay more attention to that rather than what I thought it would be the, the, what is expected of you. You know what society tells you to do, and you not really, you don't really want to do it because you don't feel like it, or you don't really feel like it's, it's your thing, but you have to do it because that's the way that you grow up and you've been told to. And uh, eventually, um, I started to 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 lose the the loosen the grip of uh, of those ideas and thoughts of what should I be doing and what not. And then I started to to see the you know how much we create our own suffering with our thinking and how that is linked to our emotions. And because the emotions are in the body, and they feel like you know it's anchored in your body so it feels real but then i started to see that that is not the reality of, of who we are and i remember there were times even after that happens that there were some suicidal thoughts coming and uh, there were dark thoughts about just ending all and how i'm going to end it and, and with the detail of how i'm going to jump from that building in front and how I'm going to land on my back because I don't want to land on my front so if my, gaze, my face gets smashed so then my family will, when they have to recognize my body, they will, uh, they will get more distraught. So, and then when I started to think about that and then I saw myself thinking that, I started to laugh because I thought, what the hell is this about? This thought about me killing myself because I could not handle the way that I was thinking. So it was almost like a cancer trying to kill the, its own host. And I could see through that and that was a hugely liberating moment because I could see how the mind started to create all these patterns that were felt in the body and it felt very dark and, and, and uh, in your body, very heavy. It's almost like a burden that you can't move, you can't think, you're frozen. But I could see through that and I came out of that and, and then I started to see how some of my friends and, and people in my life were, uh, were very unhappy and then I started to to just to see if I could speak to them and tell them, you know, that life is, is beautiful and how you make it and how you do it. So it, it didn't necessarily have to be all about um, one way and, and just black and white thinking. That's the only way there is and, and this is it, it's finished. It was actually about uh, exploring different options and, 
but then uh, and then uh, people started to to die around me so i started to to see how um the sort of what are you going to do with your life questions because when you have people around you dying you really you really see uh, especially when there is so much death in the, in a short period of time you started to really question you know life is just this right now right here and what are you going to do with it are you going to waste it on something that you're not really you're not really interested in and you know really your heart is not on and then uh, there was the suicides and then the, the two people that i knew they were they committed suicide and then uh, two other people that i knew they died suddenly and another person there was my, my neighbor and died in, in when i lived in hackney so it was really upsetting you know and it's also it really made me realize that i wanted to do something with peace you know how to to, to talk to people about peace and then i started to think that maybe that's what i really wanted to do just to get involved with people and speak about peace and then all of these things started to happen in the uk with the with the um, Brexit and uh, the things in Europe and all this news about Europe fracturing and obviously as I was a child of the of the EU because I was born in Spain in the transition between uh, the, the dictatorship and democracy uh, Franco died my name expresses that my name Tanausu is a name from uh, uh, an indigenous uh, prince in one of the islands of the canary islands in the island of la palma so before there was a trend of calling your children uh, typical biblical names and typical catholic names like jose maria and all these things so, and baptize your children and as i said my family uh, my father was atheist so he was against that and there was an opening in in, in spain about you know wow this is, democracy is happening it's new there was a fresh time in the 80s in spain and it was all crazy and punk and whatnot and um, so they gave me this name, Tanausu, which uh, to me represents the sort of transition in Spain where people could uh, could uh, name the children the, the name they wanted, really, without being seen as uh, as uh, mad. And also, I went through these uh, studies in France and started to, you know, to have this freedom of uh, movement in Europe and and all of these things about um, what I saw in the UK with uh, this fracturing of, of Europe and people having these ideas of nationalism and patriotism and and, and, and I was just not uh, connecting with that. So this is very unfair. And then the Brexit thing too. I felt it was very unfair the way they was portrayed and there was the demonizing the United uh, the EU and uh, demonizing the whole of the the European and and, and and I started to see how there was a pattern there in a, a um, about um, the difficulties of uh, the societies they're going through and then looking for a scapegoat to not blame governments and there was so much going on and then I started to to have that pull again to just go out there and talk to people and see what people are in. and I really never really believed the news because I could see there was a lot of construction that there was a lot of editing and choosing what to what to portray and what to not portray and um, and then I saw this documentary about this woman in the US she called herself Peace Pilgrim and she actually walked in the US from the 1950s, I think it was, I don't know exactly the date, but she walked for peace. She was already in her 50s, so she was uh, already retired, I think, and she had gray hair and she walked coast to coast, to coast for peace. And she didn't have anything on her apart from her tunic that said peace pilgrim, and then in the back 25,000 miles for peace. And when I was looking at that documentary, everything fell into place for me. I was like, 
this is it. This is exactly what I need to be doing in Europe. And it was unfortunately that I saw that and it was, uh, it was bittersweet because from one, there was a calling for me to follow and to, to go through. And for other, it was sad to see how this woman, she worked all those years in the UK, in the US for peace and look at all the issues that we have now in Europe and in the world in general, how many wars have been going on. And so there was from this whole pool about going and walking and, and, and preparing myself to walk for peace was a, a, a process of years. So it came from my inner searching and looking and those experiences that I had to the outer and how to translate that and how to be of service and how to help people and how to show truth and how to show things that are unjust and unfair. And that's when I thought that... Um, you know, going to walk for peace would be uh, uh, a great thing, you know, just just walk and see see what happens, you know, just and I prepare in London, I prepare in London for about uh, two months, because I remember initially thinking, no, actually, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, to do much, I'm just going to get, get ready and go. And then I realized that that was not uh, the case. After well, you haven't done anything like this. I was never into camping, never into hiking, never into um, going for uh, you know a week of camping somewhere. I was not into that. Even I remember my friend saying to me, "Oh, we want to go to Glastow. Why don't you go to Glastonbury with us?" And I thought, "Me, Glastonbury? No shower, no bed, no way. <laughs> I don't do that." So I was not really into that at all. But because this was actually so strong, this feeling that I had and these sort of um, sensations that actually I was like, well, I'm going to do this. And I am going to maybe practice a little bit while I'm in London. Because uh, obviously my, my, I was uh, psychologically and spiritually ready, but my body wasn't. So I started to walk between Hackney in London, <coughs> where I lived. And uh, central London, which was about eight kilometers one way. So the first time I did it, I couldn't even finish it. I was, it was impossible. Life in a city is all about public transport and buses and, and trains. So you don't really walk that much. And I remember it was really painful and I had blisters. So I thought, well, cool, good. I, I was planning to leave London. I started to walk in, in June 2017. And this was already, um, so it was two months before that I started walking. And I remember thinking, great, great that I'm doing this now because there was blisters, there was pain. So I started to look into how to, to cure blisters, how to deal with pain. I also had a, a bunion on my left foot. And uh, I think it was called Thompson's neuroma on my right foot. So I had some issues with my feet before I started. But I thought, well, I'm just going to be careful with it and, and walk and, and see what I can do. My doctor said to me that you were crazy. They said, my GP said, uh, no, you can't do this. You know, you're not, you're not ready to do this. You haven't trained, you haven't done anything to do this. You know, you can't. So obviously she said no. And uh, <laughs> I didn't listen to her. But then uh, I remember asking the, 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 the podiatrist and uh, she said, well, you have to make sure that you have like loose feet, loose shoes, and they're soft. And then, because also I have hyperextension of my knees and my feet, so my feet and my knees are uh, very flexible. So they they flex inwards. So it's, it's too too flexible. So you have to have some support. And so all, all of these things were happening anyway. So um, I walked, and then 
I walked to central London and then I made it all the way there. And then I made it way there and then back a little bit and then take the bus and then there and back. And then I started to use a backpack, a backpack with books. So I started to put weight on. And then uh, again and again and more and more and more. And then I, I remember meeting my friend Manuel, which is, has been an amazing support all the way through. And he thought that I was crazy. But he said to me, I remember that, he said, I think you're crazy. What are you doing? You're planning to do it. But I've got your back, he said. And that's something that, I, that really, really touched me because I thought, well, here's a guy that thinks that I'm crazy, but still thinking that, you know, if anything happens to you, I will, I will help you out or something, just in case any emergencies or anything like that. And he actually sponsored me my, my backpack because he saw the backpack that I used. And he said, you cannot walk through Europe with that, you know. It was a very cheap one that I found in a charity shop for about 10 pounds. And he said, this is not ready for, for any sort of long journey. So he sponsored me the, a new one, the one that I have now. And he's also sponsored me my tent, which he was a, a four season tent, you know, good quality. And he was very, very supporting. And I'm, I'm forever grateful to, to the help and the, the help that he did. And it was uh, fantastic, you know, that he, be, he believed in in the in me and he, he trusted the, that I was doing something that I was meant to be doing. So the time came when I was uh, walking already, going to central London and back, and then uh, the, there was a terrorist attack in Manchester in the United Kingdom on the 22nd of May 2017 in a concert in an arena, the concert arena in Manchester with Ariana Grande playing. And there were kids involved. So that for me was the the time to say, okay, this is time to go. Some of my friends said to me that uh, you're crazy, people are racist in the UK, people are going to hit you, you're going to have problems. But I asked them, have you ever done it before? Have you walked around the UK to have that kind of confidence on what you're saying? And nobody did. Nobody has done it. But they just came with this narrative of fear. And that's exactly what I was walking against the narrative of fear and believing what you hear, believing what you see without actually experiencing anything yourself. And even from experience, it's just a particular experience at a particular moment. So anything can change. So there was not much, much freedom for them. And I, I just took all my stuff. I had all sorted out. I have stopped everything in London. I have already in the process of years, got rid of all my stuff, gave stuff away, and I only kept a few bits with some of my friends in London, a few bits like books and things that I could impart with. I don't know what I will do with them now, but I know they're safe with my lovely friends in London. And I remember um, starting to walk. And I remember when I left the house and I went to leave the, the keys to the to the letting agency that was going to take charge of the, of the flat where I was. And that was it. That was uh, 16 months ago. And uh, the journey started. And I decided to use social media not all, for many reasons. I mean, there's the reasons to connect with people and show everything that I, that I well, not absolutely everything, but the things that I see the people that I meet, because I wanted to, to share the stories. I wanted to share the information. I knew that I was going to go to every capital in the EU to meet with peace groups, to 
understand the work they do and share. And also, I knew that I would find people along the way that would tell me stories that would be inspiring to others. So this is almost like a journalistic trip where I get information and I share it, but also where I show a different side of, of reality because, you know, the world is just the world. And then this sort of uh, narratives that we used to see in television and the media and news and papers and magazines, it's all filtered by some sort of mind somewhere. So it could be the person, you don't know if that's actually, um, if they have an agenda, if not. But to me, the most important thing was to share about people that have overcome difficulties and they are at peace with themselves, to show about the work that many organizations do and peace groups do, and to actually go into, into explore that part of, of, uh, of the European situation at the moment with all these issues about immigration and refugees and and actually have learned a lot, a lot, a lot. And there is so much more that I like to share and so many details, so many stories that I think I can't, uh, <laughs> I can't put them all on Instagram and Facebook. Some of them are personal stories and people that they ask me not to share their pictures because one of the things that I also like to do is to put faces to organizations so people can connect because that's, that's one of the things that I, I realize we connect with people with faces and stories. So there's so many from I've walked through battlefields, I've walked through war zones from World War One and World War Two. I walked through the death march in Germany, concentration camps, different uh, areas that were battered by uh, Protestants and Catholics war, the religious wars in France and the Napoleon Wars and the Roman <laughs> fines and there's so much in Europe that shows how much conflict there was in Europe and how much peace there is at the moment because this is amazing to be able to walk freely from one country to the next, each with their own independent um, identity and individual identity and, and character and traditions but working together as friends with no borders and it's possible and even some of them have different coins you know, still in Europe, which is not very practical for me, or for anyone, it's actually, <laughs> because you, you, your brain sort of doesn't adjust to the changes in, 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 the, in the coins, but that's just a funny fact. And it's absolutely amazing to see that and, the, and then to see all the, all the stories and, and to, to the beauty. There's so much beauty out there, so many beautiful people and amazing people doing great work. And they're just quietly going on with their own lives, you know, they don't really want conflict and war. No farmer wants to, to go to war, you know, when they are just, just <coughs> attending the flock or, or shepherds. Or, so uh, it's, uh, it's absolutely amazing. So I hope that, uh, that you have uh, maybe a little bit more understanding of what I'm doing with this uh, this recording and I will be sharing more and I think that I will be sharing more based on different subjects or what I've been seeing and hearing and, and learning and also expressing that because I feel that it's time now to to start sharing more because uh, what I share on Facebook and social media sometimes gets uh, misinterpreted or you know it's text so the communication is removed and uh, Doing videos and things like this, it takes takes time to prepare in places, and I don't really know exactly when 
I'll have uh, access to Wi-Fi, and I'll have access to to a place to sit down for a video. So I'll do these recordings first, and then see how it goes from there. But uh, yeah, just uh, ending note: the the body is uh, starting to get a little bit more uh, cranky now, uh, resisting because obviously I've been walking for so long, and I'm taking slower. I'm taking it a little bit slower than before, so sometimes I have rested in places for two days if I, if I can. You never know what's going to happen. You never know where you're going to go, where you're going to sleep, where you're going to eat, if someone's going to give you a donation. So I am totally dependent on, on whatever happens. I know that I'm a little bit concerned right now because I'm walking through Sweden towards Stockholm and I'm heading north. But uh, I'm not really going to very... Uh, difficult terrain or mountains and things. Sometimes I had to go through mountains because of the way the land is. But I really hope that I can uh, that I can find places. I follow pilgrimage routes because there is a beautiful uh, um, routes around Europe about how people used to walk before in the Middle Ages, and there's tremendous amount of history and culture in there, and understanding and spirituality and depth and and beauty. It's something that I got to really get to explore after that, that, that event happened to me in 2012. Well, it happened to me, no, that event happened. I was just there. <laughs> and uh, I really got to understand about the, um, the message of, of, in religions, the depth, the deeper message that all these religions point to, which is about human transformation and transcendence of mind, but uh, also how it's so beautiful and there's so much beauty in all of these religions and also how much conflict there is too and how much people get lost in the details of the dogma and the things to do when they haven't really explored their own inner, uh, inner uh, shadows and darkness and difficulties. It's almost like sugar coating, you know. I have to be a nice person, but actually I have something there within me that I haven't explored. So well, there is a lot to 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 touch on this uh, on these subjects, but I really got to understand and you know the message of Jesus, the message of Buddha, uh, Muhammad, and uh, Krishna, and then you started to see the the mythology of it all, which is uh, a way to interpret something that can't be interpreted because you cannot put it into words. Language fails to explain this amazing and, and unique and just. It's not even unique because it's just truth is truth, whether you, you try to, to claim it as yours or one way or another. But all, all of these religious pointing at that truth and eventually you have to, to let it go. And this is something that I really like. Someone said, don't know what I read, I think it might be a Zen Buddhist. They said, when you walk, when you cross a river, you need a boat. Once you cross the river, you leave the boat behind. You don't carry the boat in the other side of the shore. And I thought that that was actually quite um, beautiful, you know, a uh, way of expressing how religions can help you to cross that river, that river of mind and chatter and conflict and get into, into the other side, which is your truth and beauty and, and, and love and connection and understanding. And that's, that's pretty much what I'm walking for. I'm walking for that peace that breaks through all of these uh, ideas that we have about ourselves and others and nations. And that's what I call it, walking for peace beyond borders, because those are the borders that we build 
around ourselves to protect ourselves from something that we think we're going to be hurt or we're, gonna, we're scared. We have these ideas of the other and how those borders can transcend from the border that you build around yourself, around your family, or around your friends, or around your co-workers and your community. And that also goes into communities, communities, nations, nations international. You know, and you can see how that has a ripple effect if we all took the time to look deeper in ourselves and understand the similarities that we have, which are amazingly more common than the differences, because the differences we have are all constructed and also by agreement. But I will, I will touch that on another time explore that in a little bit more depth and uh, this is something that I that I work for so yes sometimes I uh, I get tired my body's uh, resisting it like, <laughs> done but I have such an eagerness to keep going and you know and, and walk and my spirit is sort of running free and moving freely and expressing and listening to people and meeting all these places and seeing all these beautiful locations in nature and hearing all these stories that I want to keep going, but maybe I have to stop for winter, I'm not sure. I have to see how my body responds and uh, also see how how I'm going to manifest that and maybe stopping somewhere for a couple of months because I'm in the north of Europe, I'm in Scandinavia. And uh, so I'll see, I'll see how, how I, I put all that into practice because I cannot really plan uh, people are, are used to planning and scheduling and telling people when are you arriving, what time, when, and I have no idea. I never really know because I'm walking. So when you walk, you have to take a lot of factors in consideration, which is your body, the length, where you're stopping, if you have any place to stay before, if all your devices are charged and you can contact someone. There's so much at play. I wish I could just say, well, I'll be there on Wednesday, but maybe I will meet on Monday with someone that has an amazing story to share about what they've done for peace in the world of themselves and then that leads to another person and then that leads to an organization and a meeting so and because that's what's happening all the time when you meet people that connect with you for this walk for peace and they're actually excited to share it and to you know to to share their stories and i'm 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 all ears so i want i don't want to miss that opportunity because i'm going to say to someone i'll be there on wednesday so i just have to keep it open and uh, and see where life uh, guides me because I'm, I've been guided. I have a general plan of where I want to go, but I follow the signs of where I should go. But then there are signs that tell me, okay, now you, th you thought that you were going to go towards the right, but now you have to turn left. And I follow my intuition a lot more and it tends to get to, to lead me to a beautiful place with beautiful people that have amazing stories to say, say and I share that. So thank you for listening and uh, I will be uploading more things bit by bit while I'm walking and I will call these reflections, reflections of what I walk. This first one is all about explaining a little bit more where I come from and what's happened and why I'm doing this and uh, I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you listen to the next one. Thank you. Hi. Hello and welcome to the second episode of the podcast, The Inner Way. Uh, this time I will be talking about pilgrimage and from my own experience, what I've had discovered, learned and also explored with this uh, long pilgrimage for peace around Europe. 
I've been walking for 16 months, um, over 9,200 kilometers, and I have touched a lot of the main uh, pilgrimage routes in, uh, in Europe so far, in especially Western Europe and Central Europe. And now I'm in Sweden, so I'm walking through a, a route called the St. Brigitte route, which is uh, a pilgrimage route that used to be followed by a lot of people to, with the destination of St. Brigitte in uh, Bad Stena, a village in south from Stockholm. So um, I have uh, followed the Camino de Santiago, which is the St. James Way that goes all the way to northern western Spain. There is the, the place where there is belief that the remains of St. James are buried. He was uh, one of the apostles from, uh, from Jesus' time and he went to preach in Spain and uh, he was a pilgrim. He went to preach in Spain and also later got killed in Palestine at the time and uh, they took his body to, to be buried uh, in that area of Spain because he was uh, far away from the Roman um, holes of the Mediterranean so there was there's a lot of legends around it and uh, about the history of the place so uh, you uh, please excuse the sound again because I'm walking so you might hear wind or cars passing by or some noises because I'm outside I think it's uh, quite important that I record while I walk so you know I can sense I have a sense of uh, uh, more focus, understanding and expression while I walk, I feel. So, um, excuse the sounds that you will be hearing in the background. So, um, yes, I started this uh, pilgrimage for peace around Europe and I knew that I was going to visit all the capitals in the EU to engage with uh, peace groups and peace organizations and, and then attend different sort of uh, gatherings and learn about what people are doing for peace either locally, nationally or internationally and then all that information share it online through uh, various social media outlets like Instagram and Facebook but also I knew that I wanted to, to go through to pilgrim routes and, and holy places because I really wanted to engage you know, different religious groups and also understand you know, a bit more about what people do in these places and what's the message in these holy places and um, and the and the route that takes there and then goes there so i started to to walk in the uk and i didn't really follow any particular route there in ireland it was only until i got to canterbury that i got to experience a little bit what a pilgrim is because there is a, a route in the south of england that goes to canterbury as the end a pilgrimage route and i did that uh, I did arrive there and I was told about that, so I learned. So on this uh, pilgrimage, I get to to learn about sort of local pilgrimage routes, historical pilgrimage routes in different countries <coughs> and how that they were discovered at a later date or they've been rediscovered now and people seem to be having an interest in pilgrimage as a way of uh, either exploring these routes themselves from a historical point of view or some people want to do this from a religious point of view or some people want to do it spiritually because they want to find a little bit more about themselves and and i would be i mean i'm i'm more interested myself in the 
the transformational power that walking has especially if you do a, a long pilgrimage because you have to face life as it comes one of the things that i've discovered is that uh, you pretty much start to see how your mind operates what you create in your mind in terms of fear and imagine scenarios when you are out there how you started to become more peaceful within yourself when you be more open to life more open to being in the moment and not creating any future scenarios imagining things or expecting things to go wrong and all of these things that we we normally do so when i uh, when i have walked i have always asked people i've been very curious when i see other pilgrims doing especially in the Camino de Santiago, which is the popular one, I ask people why they do this pilgrimage. And there's various reasons, as I said before. Some people do it for, for, um, for the holidays because they have some time off and they, they wanted to be doing uh, something different from what they used to do, which is the, you know, you, you have a package holiday, you go somewhere, then you come back home and uh, you know life goes on some people want to do a little bit more be exploring with nature but i've i've met all sorts of different people i've met people that use pilgrimage as a way to avoid themselves so they uh, what i call the eternal pilgrim people that have, they use these routes just to keep going on and on and on and on for years almost lost in these pilgrimage routes and they have they tend to have quite traumatic pasts so it's almost like they are running away from themselves. Then there are people that want to find themselves or find, they put themselves in these situations where they have to think differently from the norm, which is what really a pilgrimage does because you, you are faced with yourself, if you, especially if you're walking alone, you face with life, what's right in front of you and nature, the, the weather, the environment, people, different cultures, different ways of thinking, and different ways of understanding. But you started to see that little by little, you started to come home to your own perception and your own understanding. And uh, how sometimes, how limited that it is, because we have all these ideas about why life is, and you know, we're scared of the outdoors, we're scared of being outside. We have all these sorts of cocooned lifestyles that we live in boxes, as I say, you know, you leave your house, you go to work, you leave your house, which is a box, you go to work, and you, you, you walk into a box that takes you somewhere else, which is a, a bus or a train, a transport, or a car. So we are pretty much always sheltered somehow. And that could be interpreted in many ways. It can be interpreted sheltered from life because of a fear of, of the adore or the unknown, which is huge. The fear of the unknown is huge and I found that the more friends that we came, I became with not knowing, the, the, the freer and lighter I felt, you know, it's like, well, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but let's see. And that sort of attitude has really taken me far and it's something that I saw also earlier on when I started to walk. I started to literally feel how my mind was working. Because when I started to feel fearful about where am I going to sleep? Where am I going to eat? What's going to happen? What about if I put my tent somewhere and I get attacked by an animal? 
all of these things was actually literally robbing me of energy in the moment. And I could feel that my backpack was not 23 kilos, was like 45 kilos. It felt like that. It felt like every step was painful and difficult. That was very early on when I left London towards Wales. And then I realized I can't keep thinking this way. I could see how my mind was actually making my experience um, terrible. You know, it was not enjoyable, it was heavy, it was difficult. And I said to myself, I can't afford to be scared. I literally cannot afford to walk this pilgrimage with fear because it's counterproductive. It's not really, it doesn't make sense. And then I realized that it was almost like a pilgrimage could be considered also a metaphor for life, you know, because you're human, you're walking, you're seeing these experiences and you're seeing how by focusing on the moment, day by day, moment by moment, bit by bit, having a general idea where I was going to go, I could go far. And that has led to 9,200 kilometers far. And it's almost like a metaphor for life. If you focus on the now without fear, without imagining scenarios, without imagining how the future will be, you just focus on the now and give your attention to it, 100% to it, you can actually go far. So this is something that I, I really got earlier on, you know, not to be scared because if anything was going to happen, I can only deal with it in reality when it's happening. So that also goes to anything in life, really. We have so many scenarios that we create in our mind, imagining things about what's going to happen. It always tends to be in a negative way because it comes from our past, our conditioning, what we think, what sort of filters we have through reality and what we see as uh, the potential and the possibilities of whatever endeavor we want to get into. So it's something quite common that I've, I've heard a lot of people say, I would love to do a pilgrimage somewhere, but I'm scared. And I'm like, well, look at that fear. What are you scared of? I'm scared of being alone. I'm scared of what could happen. And I always question them. I said, have you done anything like that before? No. So then you don't know. You're really purely basing your understanding of, of this possible adventure or journey into a pilgrimage on fear or what other people have said. And you can only really base your understanding from your own experience, you know, from being out there and doing it. And also there are many different routes that can be done and there are routes that are already laid out for people to walk. So it's relatively easy because you have the comfort of knowing where you're going to sleep on the night when you arrive, where you're going to sleep and, you know, you have a sort of route laid out for you. So it's uh, relatively easy. And also there are, there are different ways of uh, doing pilgrimage. I mean, it's such a wide... Uh, you know, meaning word because pilgrimage could be to a holy place the people go there for various reasons it could be because the, you know, some of the arriving there they would uh, feel that they, they want to be part of something special and unique in that place from miracles that happen there and they believe that they will benefit from being there they will heal they will uh, improve or they want to do it for for a loved one or because they have a, someone that died, a deceased. There's so many different reasons why people will go on a pilgrimage. But eventually, if you're open to, to walk 
for a certain amount of time on your own especially you you have uh, to face what's there so this idea about being alone and being scared about being alone it tends to come from a place of being scared of being with your own mind you know with your own thinking because your thinking might be negative all the time and you can't handle it but it's uh it can be quite healing for people to be in nature and walking and getting to slow right down to to walk through nature and see what's what the colors are and and the light and the beauty that is right in front of you and you get to be more in touch with your intuition you get to be more um, open to to life and and what the the signs are out there for you to follow so even if there is a deter- predetermined path like the Camino de Santiago sometimes you can you know get off the road a little bit and and find your own particular way so there is uh, a lot of different ways of going about pilgrimage in my case it's a pilgrimage for peace and i connect all of these sort of holy places with capital so i i mix it all up because i want to include as many people as possible in this walk for peace and the situation that's happening in the world and in europe but there is also tremendous amount of history and culture and learning and uh, religious and spiritual and political is all connected you can see how when you walk through these villages and then you look at especially the churches because the churches tend to be the, the center focus of the how that village developed in the past or how it came to be and you can see you can ask questions from how did they find the materials to build this uh, church or this uh, chapel or this cathedral to who uh, is buried there or who pay for it or who pay for different sections or or what was the reason for that church to be built particularly there so if you started to ask all these questions and you have a, you have a whole new understanding of the local um, culture and also the history of that area and that really enriches you as a as a person to know all these these facts about the legends that that, that were there the churches that are there the, the and the sort of uh, the political games that were playing at the time and if that church was built there because they wanted to to appease the region because it was in conflict you know europe was always pretty much all the time um wars and conflict with each other regions and areas and countries so um it's interesting to see all of that when you go on pilgrimage then there are the holy places where they are i find it fascinating because some of them have a history of starting with a, a miracle or a, some sort of um uh uh, relics they were buried there from a saint or someone well someone that later was turned a saint so it's all of this is from the from the church who decides who's a saint and who's not based on the accuracy of the miracles and the different uh, sources of information that they've had at the time so there's a lot of uh, of these things around but for me it's all about looking at the message underneath all of the the, the theatricals of uh, of a huge place like Santiago de Compostela or Lourdes or Fatima which have become huge in themselves huge places of pilgrimage a lot of people go there through the year they started very very small obviously it was a local little village somewhere there was either an apparition of the 
of the Virgin Mary or some, some discovered the relics of a saint there. You know, they claim to be the relics of, a, of some sort of religious figure. And uh, people walk there with the hope that they will get something out of being there or, or, uh, or be part of something different. And what I see common is the, the faith that people have in, in having hope you know, for their lives and, and what they go there. And some people walk, for example, in Fatima, I've seen people on their knees when they go to this big square before they go to the little chapel where this apparition happened. There has been a whole infrastructure built around it with a new cathedral, a square, because it's uh, to be able to, to manage and, and host thousands of people when they arrive there, especially on the date of the saint or where the Pope visits. So you have to cater for all these uh, large crowds. So these places have exploded. And, um, and you see people walking on their knees, you know, and, and, and it's, uh, it's really something special to, to witness, you know, to see how someone is so devoted to their faith that they actually will be able to do that. And, um, and uh, for me, it's all about the messages that go deeper in these, uh, these particular areas, the messages of uh, peace, of understanding, of unity, of love, and it comes from maybe a religious uh, background. Or, I mean, there are so many different ways to, to take on these uh, pilgrim routes and these pilgrimages. But it's also been uh, absolutely amazing to discover so much of uh, smaller pilgrimage routes in different countries, places that are not so well known, but they actually were very popular in the Middle Ages and see how people did these things back then, how people walked, and also to realize that in those earlier times, people were much more superstitious and they were much more uh, into their, their belief of when they will arrive to a certain place, they will be either cured or, uh, or uh, offer a place in heaven. It depends what sort of place you, you walk to, that they all have different aspects of why people go there. But also to, to realize that uh, these things were much more common than they are now, I guess because now we have so much transport and public transport and whatnot, that people just keep the walking and just go there by plane and, and whatnot. But that sort of takes away the experience of being in unity with nature, I think. When you just arrive there, you again are in that boxed sort of mentality of, you know, being from one place to the next through this protective shield of your car or the train or the, or the, the plane. And that really removes you from the sacredness of nature, your experience of being alive in that way, in, th in that particular way of just being exposed to the elements and having to deal with that, which I think is really powerful in itself and very enriching. And um, also that uh, people used to walk in, sometimes they never made it to these places. I've, I've heard stories of uh, people in the Middle Ages, they actually, because what, what a pilgrimage is supposed to be is, you go to the place that you are going to from your house, from where you live. So from where you live, you have to 
walk there and then back and obviously these uh, these medieval times were not very safe because of the environment and you know people have to walk through nature and uh, woodlands and whatnot so there would be also illnesses when i stayed in a in a in an old castle in france someone put me in contact with because they they sometimes rented the tower of the castle but this was winter so they never rented it in winter but they offered me to stay there for the night and uh, i understood why people don't go there in winter because it was colder inside than outside of that tower and it was actually the tower where people used to shoot from this is just a side note <laughs> so i thought it was quite interesting that the pilgrim for peace is staying in the shooting tower i thought it was an interesting take and i spoke to the owner of the castle and he said that when they were doing excavations to extend part of the living area they found coffins and of those coffins they were skeletons with the shell in the hand the shell is the is the symbol of the saint james way or the camino de santiago there's a lot of legends also around the shell but they, they had it in the hand so he said that some people would die and because they would die from illnesses that were highly contagious they had to be buried there and then and uh, they never made it so that really made me think about how many people tried to get there and never made it or there and back and never made it so they just say goodbye to their families in the hope that they will arrive there and you know in the future there will be all the scenes will be cleansed and um and uh, then go back home to their families or and they never made it so it sort of has a it makes you realize how lucky you know uh, we are that we can actually do this route nowadays with a with much more help and support even though if some places you don't get support or help you still have some sort of sense of safety you know being able to communicate and what so, so on so um that's the one of the reasons you know that i saw that why and then i started actually i started to ask myself well why would people risk their life to to go to these huge journeys on foot on those times and when i went to santiago for example i asked around i asked in the tourist board and i asked the, some of the priests and and they said that there basically there was something that the catholic church did about I don't know if I find the right word now, but it was about um, excommunicating, I think it is, so like forgiving all your sins once you got there. And also if, if you arrive at a certain time of the year, in a certain year, they would open the, 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 a door which people would pass through and passing through this door will mean that you will have uh, your sins. So it's almost like reboot, you start again. <laughs> So I thought, oh, okay, so obviously if you have a strong belief about all these ideas and then you, you feel that that's the only way for you to, to get rid of your guilt or whatever because you have done something or you feel... So I could see how people will risk their own their entire life just to get there. So there's a lot of devotion and faith on, on, on the arrival. So um, there is uh, also some... Uh, some people that uh, walk these uh, routes and they do it for for um, you know like hiking and uh, i met people that walk with a group and and they set uh, a time and see who arrives there first so it's almost like a competition who arrives there first which is their choice you know there is i personally don't think that that's 
the right way to do a pilgrimage if you, you know, because you might miss a lot of clues and cues on the journey while you get there. You know, you might miss something because you just focused on the end. And I think one of the things that I really found interesting is how pilgrimage itself is, it could be a metaphor for life, like the journey in your life. Which route are you taking? Where are you walking? Are you trying to get there faster by doing shortcuts? Are you enjoying the journey? Is your final destination your final destination or is being pre-arranged for you? So that, those are questions that I like to ask people too, you know, it's like you have a goal in your life. How much do you know that that's your goal? How much do you know that that is your Santiago de Compostela? Is it your Santiago de Compostela or is someone else's Santiago de Compostela? Has it been placed there because you want to feel validated? Is that goal really your goal, your own goal? Have you looked deeper into why you think that that's, or what do you think that that's going to give you when you get there? And, and again, it's, a, it's another metaphor for how people live their lives. You know, you're so focused on the goal, you, you miss the steps that you're taking, you miss the moment, you miss the right now, right here. And that's something that I experience myself personally when I see that, yes, there is a general route or where I, where I want to go. For example, now I'm in Sweden and I know that I want to go to Vatstena, which is a place for pilgrimage in here in Sweden, and after that, Stockholm. But I don't know what the, the journey will be exactly. And I know there is some routes, but I know that I have to keep myself open. And also not knowing, being friends with the unknown, which is huge. It is huge to be friends with the unknown when we actually try everything possible in our lives to know what's going to happen because we're scared of not knowing. And I think there is tremendous amount of freedom and uh, being friends with the unknown. So these sort of parallels between a pilgrimage and life are... Uh, are beautiful because you could see how if you focus on the day by day when you're walking and you because that's the only thing that you could really do and it's such a physical event that it really forces you to be in the here and now and say okay now it's raining what do I need to do I need to cover for this I need to so you you see the circumstances as they come and you start to build this sort of confidence about well I can only deal with things as they happen. And that's also a, a beautiful metaphor, metaphor for life. You know, you can deal with things as they come, one to one, day to day, and you could go far in life, you know. I've, now I am 9,200 kilometers by having that sort of uh, way of, that perspective. I'm here now, I'm walking on this road, today is sunny, there's not much wind, so I thought, well, that's, I think it's an opportunity to talk and do this podcast today. So um, you see things as they come, you become much more powerful in dealing with that from a place of peace and serenity and not being so taken by what's happening. There are things that we can control and that's pretty much how we deal with life. And there are things that we cannot control, which is life itself, you know. In this case, could be the weather in a pilgrimage, or you go into a place, you arrive there thinking that you're going to have a place to sleep, and then they say no, or you don't find a place, and then 
So you, what do you do? And then, so now what? That's another, another, another big thing on a pilgrimage. And now what? You know, now what can I do? And um, so I found a lot of parallels between the journey of life in general and the, the journey in pilgrimage. And also how you learn so much from people, from nature, if you're open to it, from animals, you know, beautiful animals you find on the way. And they come to say hello to you and they're initially a little bit uh, wary of this stranger walking where there was known before, especially if it's not a busy route. But you sort of connect with them, you know, you say hello and, <laughs> and there is a beautiful exchange there with, uh, with the other being that is there. You start to appreciate more nature and, uh, and, uh, and how important it is, how beautiful it is, you know. The, the, the planet doesn't belong to us humans, it belongs to trees. I think that's one of the, the biggest things that I've seen is that trees are the, the fundamental, um, most important things for life on Earth. You know, they, they take from the soil and they create all this oxygen and, you know, so trees are very important and beautiful and standing there very, very uh, powerfully quiet there's a quiet sense of uh, dignity about them and i love that and it's not even a, a wooey wooey talk it's just the, the reality of when you walk you see this uh, beautiful nature and then so there has been a lot of um, different experiences that i've had with people and places and and also uh, from these roots and how some people uh, that actually are involved in these roots either by being volunteers to help pilgrims or, um, or pilgrim office of information or pilgrim hostels or uh, in monasteries where they have a, a little couple of rooms for pilgrims so it's um, especially the Camino de Santiago I think is, is an amazing route you know, there's different ones. I've heard a lot of stories about the Camino Frances, which is the, the popular one between, I think it's Saint-Jacques-Pierre-de-Port in France to, to St. James, Santiago, have been too popular right now. Too busy, too many people. It, becomes, it has become too, um, too touristic. That's what I've heard. But I've heard from a lot of different people saying the same thing. So obviously there must be some some uh, some truth to that even though I'm, i haven't experienced that myself i have had uh, the walk that i did especially in spain was in the north of spain in uh, el camino del norte because i wanted to walk through guernica which is a place that was is important for for world peace and because it was bombed there and uh, it was uh, picasso did, created a painting based on the bombing of that, that town there was a lot of civilian casualties. It was the first time that a town was carpet bombed. So there is a lot of uh, things that I wanted to to explore there and I discover there. Because again, I'm joining by foot the places that I have in my mind about where I want to go. But also I have to be open to whatever brings in the moment. And uh, so there is, um, there is a lot to learn from from pilgrimage and there are uh, pilgrim routes that are set and marked on maps and uh, online 
but then there are no there is no infrastructure for pilgrims to stay sleep overnight like i found in the czech republic like i'm finding here in sweden in sweden there is a santa brigitta route which is the what i'm doing at the moment but churches are not familiar with opening a place for pilgrims to sleep which as a pilgrim you really when you're walking especially if you're doing a long distance pilgrimage from anything between i don't know 300 to 500 kilometers or even more um, and if you don't have that sort of structure of a place where you can sleep for the night simply you carry your your um, sleeping bag with you your maybe inflatable mattress so you're ready to sleep on the floor so i think that's also crucial from from all the things that i've seen myself experience myself and people that i spoke to how you have to simplify you have to let go of all of these ideas of uh, staying in hotels all the night i mean if you can and you want good for you you know but that again is you are being you are looking for comfort and uh, there's nothing wrong with that but i think challenging yourself to to have a much more simpler life and not knowing what's going to happen it makes you grow it makes you understand how you deal with these situations and um, but some places they don't even offer a place to sleep on the floor even though there are routes there are historical routes for pilgrimage so i'm just trying to to speak to i've been speaking to to priests in here to let them know that they could open up you know they have all the infrastructure online in the route drawn they could uh, welcome pilgrims to to stay in places so they can drive if it's raining so as i say if you if you make it happen people will come because they i found there is a there is a, a pool for a lot of people to be more outdoors and in nature but not necessarily doing the wild hiking crossing through mountains and stuff but you know with a little bit more infrastructure and a little bit more support and i think that will be wonderful for people to experience a little bit more peace within themselves and and being in contact with nature appreciate nature <laughs> just a thought came into my mind now i remember there's a woman there was a woman in uh, in france that she said that every politician should do <laughs> the camino de santiago on foot on their own before they enter office so they will learn about life and people and i thought it was a great idea <laughs> why not also i discovered too so this is about going again to different types of pilgrimage there was uh, once i met with this belgian um man that, that was walking with this young young boy that uh, he was uh, uh, an offender apparently he was uh, he committed some crimes in belgium and they and they suggested that he did the camino de santiago with this mentor so he would learn about you know being on out there in the world and being with people respecting learning social skills and all of these things and i thought wow that's i never heard of that before to use pilgrimage as a punishment not punishment but i think more rehabilitation and i think it's a wonderful idea because you have to be if you have with a mentor and if he really understands about you know social skills and and people and humanity understanding and love it could be really transformational for that kid to to do this walk so that's one example then i've met uh, an artist in barcelona that she walks she walks she does this pilgrimage that she she makes herself as an as an expression of as, a, as an art performance pretty much so this art performance uh, involves her walking with a man's suit so she challenges all these ideas about gender and 
and then she she has stories that she she sews into the lining of her of her suit so i thought that was also a wonderful way to to explore the land you know making it a um and performance art piece and also getting people to speak about different ideas and different concepts through art also there are political uh, walks i just a uh, couple of months ago i've heard about this uh, group of men in afghanistan that walked to the capital because they wanted the the war to stop so um, pilgrimage as the political um, political activism as well and also pilgrimage as as religious devotion going to a place of of um, worship and uh, a holy place and also pilgrimage to to as a spiritual journey in itself and so they're, they're all different ways depending on the person i have seen people that do it as a sport pretty much you know like i said hiking and and then just uh, competing with each other i've seen people that wanted to be left alone and don't want to blend with anyone and just with their own group and so that's that's the way to do it to deal with it <coughs> and then uh, there has been um the pilgrims that i met that are uh, 70 years old they've been walking on their own uh, there was this man from south africa that he walked uh, he flew not south africa sorry um new zealand and he flew all the way to france to do this camino de santiago on his own you know and uh, and it was uh, it was actually quite a funny situation because someone confused me with him because someone said oh there is this english person walking past and they came to to see if it was me but it was him it was a it was a really funny situation when someone in the village got confused and i spoke to him in english so it was nice and to learn you know so and i also met um, women that walk on their own so and uh, i also met people that said i would love to do a pilgrimage but i'm i'm scared you know because i'm a woman but what if i get raped i don't know again going into the the world of the imagination and fear and creating their own limitations themselves because i've seen i've seen and i've met people that have walked they have done pilgrimage there was also some people have done it by bike with a couple alone with disabilities with um with their families with their kids they even have traveled all around the world so really the question is if you want to do a pilgrimage yourself what's stopping you if you really want to do it if you really want to walk out there what's stopping you and the if you really want to do it you would be doing it or at least looking into doing it but you start to think about what's stopping you what's what sort of are the the reasons why you think you can't do it are the other excuses of why you're not doing it and uh yeah i mean uh, there's all sorts of different routes and a lot of people like to do these pilgrimages in uh, summer time you know because it's good weather and but i don't know i mean i from my own experience each season brings their own beauty we, from the light that you see the colors now is autumn um this is the first time that i am in this part of europe up north so i haven't really experienced winter up here and i'm i'm aware of it i'm concerned i'm like okay uh, snow and you know <laughs> quite a few feet of snow i don't know i, I can't walk through that because my my 
trolley, my baby pram thing is not ready for snow. I don't have snow equipment, so I don't know. But again, I'll take each day as it comes. Today is a very bright, beautiful day. I can see the colors of the trees changing, the reds, the oranges, the, the yellows. It's calm, there's no wind, blue sky. So you never know what the day can bring. But again, it's all about uh, just being in the moment and not projecting too much into the future about what this, uh, this, uh, this life is and what, what will be in the future, you know, what the future will bring. And I think that's, um, that's, that's one of the reasons why I call this, this podcast The Inner Way, because any, anything that we do in life, we, don't, we might not realize it, but it's an inside job. It's life happens, things are there. We are the ones that make them either negative or positive. We are the ones that give it meaning to existence and life because life it just happens. Obviously there are things that are pleasant or less pleasant that we don't like to experience. We would choose naturally to go for comfort and easy and pleasure. But also we have to pass, by, pass through, see that sometimes things that are not going the way we want maybe are there and we can learn from that. We can, instead of avoiding them, we can actually face it. And with the freedom that that could bring to say, actually, I saw that and I tackled it head on with uh, calm and, you know, acceptance. And yeah, this is exactly what is happening because it's happening right now. There is a storm happening right now. And either if I want to, I wish for it not to be there, it's happening. The thunders are coming, the rain is heavy. And this is, it could be any circumstance in life, you know. This is uh, the relationship with my friends or my, my father, or this is what's happening. This is it. This is happening. The reality of it, there is there. But you don't want it to be there. That's another story, but it's there. So accepting that, and uh, not in a submissive way, but just in a, in a way to, to realize that it is what it is, because it is being it. I don't know if I express myself clearly, but it's like a thunderstorm happening there. I have walked through thunderstorms and I've thought, okay, this is happening. I have no control over it. The thunders are coming. I still have to keep going because I'm in the middle of nowhere. So actually I started to enjoy it. I started to enjoy the, the tremendous vibrations of walking through a thunderstorm. Yes, the rain was heavy, but actually I started to see the beauty of it rather than being totally scared of something that I have no control over. So I surrendered to it and I actually could enjoy that moment much more. And I think that's also um, true in life. You know, we have situations that we wouldn't like to be happening, but they're happening. So the way to, to gain freedom and power from that is not to be defined by that circumstance, but to see the reality of it what it is that's happening, accept it for what it is, and then take the steps forward to, to get out of that situation or move forward, you know, to keep going on the journey, to keep going on your pilgrimage, to keep going on your life, but without that resistance and all of that wasted energy for, for, it, wishing, for wishing for it not to be when it actually is. And I've seen that with um, people in my life and also through this, uh, this pilgrimage and this experience of walking, you know, how when you're walking, you are literally faced with challenges, physical challenges, realities there for you. 
either with being rejected by people, rejected by places you expected somewhere or it was not there. So again, you go back to that inner peace of, okay, this is what's happening. What now? What's next? What can I do? Without being too caught up in it. You know, it's like, oh, well, this is just the nature of life. You know, one day is sunny. The next day is, uh, it might be storm. It might be windy. Of course, I wish it could be every day like today. Quiet, silent, clear skies, no wind, no traffic, straight line, walking all the way and having the fruits of nature bringing me food, you know, at every step and sleeping very comfortably somewhere dry. It just doesn't happen like that. <laughs> so even if I wish for that to happen, I know that the reality is totally different. So what about if I bring that part of acceptance into everyday life and um, a pilgrimage? If you are open to it, can bring that sort of skills to deal with situations and and uh, and uh, how to deal with uh, certain aspects of life in a much more peaceful way. And um, yes, I mean pilgrimage routes are there are hundreds of them around Europe. They are absolutely full with history and legends and magic. I think there is some magic to it. When you, when you realize that you're walking through a place that actually is related to what you're doing. In my, in my case, it's been about finding mystics. I love uh, just finding the place so there's something to do with uh, mysticism because I really understand a lot about you know, the nature of, of, uh, of reality, life from my experience, my spiritual experiences in the past. And, and I feel, really feel a connection and I feel almost like I've been guided somehow to these places that I have no idea were there, but it all connected for the walk for peace, you know. And um, also when I go to to meet with religious groups and religious leaders, and some people ask me if I'm religious, and I say no, I'm not religious. No, I don't, you know, adhere to any particular religion. I am driven by love and 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 the and the peace that transcends all of those sorts of understandings and ideologies and ideas. And I also get to understand a lot of the the reasons why people do pilgrimage and I'm curious to explore that and also to see but it's also been the case that you find people that are addicted to that addicted to do these sort of holy places as a way of getting something from the outside in you know like please bring me joy please give me joy please saint uh, whatever give me this or give me that and uh, although there must be some kind of you know um, hope in them there is also a little bit of sadness when I see myself to, to see someone so desperate looking for something that comes from the outside when in reality they could see that they're the ones that could actually do something to improve their own life and they have the power to, to live a happy life if they only realize that it comes from within. But obviously that's not as easy for for a lot of people to understand. Some people have to go through a lot of suffering. Some people have to put themselves through a lot of uh, turmoil to then snap out of that and realize that it's, it's all in the mind, really. And, uh, you know, some people are identified with a part of themselves that is suffering, is a victim, you know, so you never know. So, you know, this sort of, uh, um, these uh, holy places uh, call for all sorts of different people, you know. But for me, it's all about the message and the truth behind those uh, places for pilgrimage and also to find out how people interpret 
pilgrimage in their own life for themselves. And some people have asked me too, it's like, what do you recommend me to do? And I was like, well, it depends, you know, how much time you have. I have seen people that do, for example, the Camino de Santiago by sections. So they just walk on the weekend certain areas. They go there by bus or it's a group with a coach. And they arrive there. They do maybe for the total of the weekend, maybe 70 kilometers altogether or maybe less, depending. I've seen people in wheelchairs, you know, trying to get with friends and little by little. And then they maybe arrive in Santiago the year after. So that's the way to do the pilgrimage. Some people do it one go. Some people do it in, in different sections some people do maybe the the last hundred kilometers so they can get the certificate because apparently you don't get the certificate of arrival if it's less than 100 kilometers but you have to prove that with your pilgrim pass which is something that you get you get the pilgrim pass when you when you walk the Camino de Santiago but also in different pilgrimage routes in Europe you also have a particular pilgrim pass where you stamp your journey dated so it's almost like a proof that you've been walking so people can see that and that sometimes give you benefits to go to certain places and have a cheaper accommodation or especially if there are uh, pilgrim hostels or albergues it's called in spanish so you can actually um, have the benefits for that some places to give you discounts in restaurants especially in spain is much more inclined to the the pilgrimage route and, uh, and yeah, so there's a lot of uh, different things. But for, for example, in my case, I kept this, uh, this uh, pilgrim passes and I kept uh, adding pages to it because I haven't found any more just to keep a continuity on my journey. So I can show people, you know, especially if, I, if I'm asking for a church, if I could sleep somewhere, so I can show them that. So it them, gives them a little bit more uh, comfort to know that I'm actually walking and, you know, they have, they have the evidence there. So it's almost like, a safety thing for for many people but also it's nice to collect the stamps from different places and see the sort of logos that they have and so this um pilgrimage you know is uh, is uh, something that um, i didn't know before i started i didn't know much about it i just assumed they was all religious and it was for the religious people that are devoted to some kind of uh, religion and ideology but then i started to see how the pilgrimage can teach you so much about about life itself because it's all interconnected you are a human being walking through nature in life and then you started to see patterns that how your 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 mind works and how your brain works and how it wants to keep you safe you are much more in tune to the human experience of being i don't know how to say it's a simplistic way of being with nature in survival mode and and you know you really challenge yourself to to come out of the ordinary and i think there is tremendous beauty in that so i uh, i recommend people to to just if they can't you know just to do a uh maybe a, a one week walking from a to b and you know maybe make your own pilgrimage or follow one of the pilgrimage that are already available there for people to follow but it's, um, it's really beautiful to see how <clears throat> the parallels between pilgrimage and uh, the human experience of, of being alive. How you, you have, uh, you know, like the metaphors of going to a place, destination, enjoying the journey, enjoying every step of the way, you know, the way. And how important it is to, to look inside to see how we deal with life as it comes as it turns up as it shows up you're walking 
something comes, something happens, you have to deal with it. You live in life, things will happen eventually. You cannot really shield yourself to a point where you are totally isolated. It's possible to do, but then you would not maybe experience growth and um, understanding to a much deeper level and being living a life more fulfilled and um, with love and freedom and, and easiness about it. And, uh, and yeah, and it's, uh, I've also seen people that have done a lot of pilgrimage and they, it doesn't seem like they have had a transformational part of it because maybe they were looking for a lot of comfort. They haven't really seen themselves in other situations and they haven't challenged themselves to, to see life from a different perspective. So you never know, you know. But again, it's all about what is that uh, your uh, journey is, you know, what is the final destination and also to know that there is no final destination because once you arrive to a place then you have to make your way home then you have to incorporate all the things that you learn and you experience into your life so there's never really a final destination i mean the only true ending is death obviously and that some people even question that <laughs> but it's about what sort of steps i'm taking today to to my to go towards my Santiago de Compostela or to go towards my Lourdes or to go towards my Fatima or to go towards my what I think will be my end goal because I believe that once I get there all my sins will be cleared all my problems will be solved once I get the house once I get the car once I get the boyfriend once I get the girlfriend you know so you so focus on that end that you might miss the beauty of the of the moment of the walk, of the path that you're in. You know, look left, look right, see what's happening. Because in reality, the only thing that you can experience is right now, right here. Listening to my voice right now is the only moment that is true because it's happening right now. And me talking here, walking in this particular place. So you started to be more focused on the now and, uh, and be more open to, to what life brings you might have a, an idea where you want to go, either professionally or relationship-wise or, you know, physical. Like, I want to live there. You know, I want to live in California because I believe that when I get there, I'll be happy. Whatever it is. First, you have to really think about how true that statement is for you. How true that statement of reaching that destination is for you. Is it really your destination is it something that you feel that you really want to go for is it something that you're doing because you believe that once you get it all your sins will be cleansed you know you'll be happy you'd be uh, you start from you know i don't know some sort of final destination that is not final in itself you know when you realize how fluid life is and how things just uh, change and and move like the seasons in the year nothing stays stationary you know change is always there so that happens to all of us in our lives because life is not static and also to see you know from from that perspective it's like well is that ending really my ending or is some by someone else's design has someone built that cathedral there for me to arrive is that you know that metaphor you know that's just the parallels of this sort of pilgrimage that really opens up a whole new understanding of well you can only deal with what you have right now right here and you might have an idea where you're going but keep yourself open 
keep yourself listening and and paying attention to the moment paying attention to the now paying attention to what really is going on around you what are you are you trying to avoid something are you running away from yourself your shadow will always catch up with you wherever you go pay attention to that you know see what's what's needed in the moment there is a pain pay attention to the pain so there is a lot of beautiful parallels between a pilgrimage you know like a journey on foot a human exposed to life in the environment and the weather and the elements to life you can be anyone in a city that has some sort of idea or a job goal or things they want to do and it's um, i think there's so much to to benefit from from slowing right down to a walking pace we run a lot we run to places we catch the trains we catch the buses we catch the planes it's really really fast but i think it's really beneficial to our mental health and our way of being to slow right down and just walk you know to really walk in and and be in touch with your body be in touch with your emotions be in touch with your your feelings see where it comes from pay attention to to this to your surrounding what's going on pay attention to to people around you what's going on with them what's going on with you and you know and have that sort of uh, that sort of um love and 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 drive that a pilgrim has to go to places and accept and deal with life as it comes you know and uh, there is a lot of uh, of uh, information that you can find on these uh, pilgrim routes especially historically and uh, also from people past and present that live in these areas or the saints that were actually in these areas and there is a lot to to learn from and to take from and then take it on your journey you know there's so much that you can how much are you gonna are you willing to carry with you how much weight are you really willing to carry with you in your life journey in your life's pilgrimage are you willing to carry the maximum that you can you know maybe 20 kilos or would you want to travel light how many things are holding you down how many things are making your walk really heavy are you thinking negatively are you thinking where is your mind set out in where is it is it in, in a future that is very bad and negative it's like it's in a in a positive future it's in a neutral future you're just focusing on the now what sort of drives your drives you forward you know what uh, what's there for you so yeah i like to to close this podcast today with that sort those sort of questions you know it's like a pilgrimage to a place but always looking around you in you know seeing the beauty that is around us and all the messages that are out there to follow and also i highly recommend people to walk more to slow down to really look at these pilgrimages that are already set out there for people to explore the culture of places the history of places is so much information to learn in in with a with an intention to grow and to keep moving forward and eventually you know reaching that that part of life that is your your uh, maybe your goal or or the destination and realizing that that destination is just one step because there are more more destinations to cover so thank you for listening and um, hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast today and until next time bye bye